Now, it wasn't entirely by accident that the next passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 actually fits uh, exactly with local outreach. And so I uh, ask you to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 5 to 7, and that's on page 1410 if you're using one of our, our Bibles there. This passage is so rich and full that actually, um, Lord willing, it's my plan to come back to it next week too. I want to spend two Sundays looking at it. The first part of it I'm going to kind of skim through lightly today and then delve into it in more detail next week. But it's a, it's a marvelous passage. Listen, listen to this, verse 5 to 7. It says, For there is one God... And one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is a fantastic passage. And and look there. Again, I'm going to read part of it again. Verse 5. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Now, um, one of the uh, questions that Bible students ask about this passage is what... What exactly is that testimony? When it says there, you see there at the end of verse 6, it says the testimony. So what testimony is that? Well, verse 5 and then in the beginning of verse 6 seems to be saying what it is. It's talking about the fact that there's one mediator and that's Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came. And you'll notice that in this short, short little time, Short little uh, verse there. It, it's referring to Christ's birth and his death and his resurrection. Uh, we'll look again in more detail next week. But notice it says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's already said that that uh, this Jesus Christ is is God. But here he's making a point of he's also man. And that that speaks of the birth of Christ, that God, God, the son was born into the human race, became one of us. So it's the man, Christ Jesus. Then it says, who gave himself as a ransom for all that one who was born among us, became one of us, then goes to the cross and ransoms us out of our problem with sin. That's his death. He he died on the cross. He paid the price that you and I could not pay. He substituted himself for us and takes away the the penalty of sin. And then it says, um, it uses that word mediator. And we know that that his mediation is partly uh, dependent on the fact that after his death, he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. So now there in heaven, he represents us before the father. He's our mediator. Having accomplished what he did on the cross, he's alive again forevermore. And he's mediating between us and God by his by his presence there with the father. Amen. 
And so his life, his death, his resurrection, that's the testimony that was given. And yet, one of the questions is, is though, but we think, but is, is that what it means there about the testimony? The testimony is that, or is it the proclamation of that now? Because you notice as the verse goes on, it says the testimony given at the proper time. And then verse 7, it says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle as a teacher of the Gentiles. So he's saying, so this is what I've been appointed for. There's a proclamation of this. So Bible students, at least those that are like myself, that like to sit around and think, what exactly does this mean? Is the testimony that which was done by Christ or is the testimony that the proclamation of that which was done by Christ? And by, by now, most of you who've listened to me preach for a while know that when I ask a question like that, it usually means that it's a little of both, right? And that's what we see here. It's really hard to, to separate those two. They're wrapped up together. There's the testimony that's given. That's Christ's death and birth, death, and resurrection. But now there's the the testimony that's told. We now go and we tell it. We bear testimony to this Christ who became one of us, who died for us, and who rose from the dead to be our mediator. It's both together. The testimony was given, and now the testimony is to be told. And then notice at the end, the very end of verse 6, it says the testimony given at the proper time, at the proper time. Now is the proper time for this testimony between Christ's ascension into heaven and his second coming, his coming back to earth. Now is the time for this testimony. Now is the time for us to bear testimony of the Christ who became one of us and who died and who rose again. This um, truth here obviously blends with our focus this morning on having an outreach into our communities here in the Lehigh Valley and doing what we can to be a, a part of the testimony being born by us and brought to the people around us. And whether we are involved in one of these particular outreach programs or not, we want to be participating with God in his concern for the people in the area in which we live. And so I want to point out to you four principles to keep in mind, four principles to keep in mind as you seek to be used of God in the work of local outreach, meaning in the work of bearing testimony to people around us about Jesus Christ. Four principles. Number one, bearing testimony about Christ is God's work. Amen? It's God's work. Notice he says there in verse 7, For I was appointed. Paul did not say, For I volunteered. He didn't say, for I decided that I would go do this. He didn't say that. The initiative of Paul being an apostle did not come from Paul. 
came from God. And if you, if, in other words, it's God who decided Paul would be an apostle. It was God who decided that the work of an apostle needed to be done. This is all God doing this. And when you look back, look back at verse 5 again, it all starts with God. For there's one God. Amen? It all starts there. And there's one mediator between God and man. Oh, well, who's that? The man Christ, Jesus. He's the anointed one. This, it's God who sent his son. He did it. The work of salvation is God's. He initiated it all. He sent his son. He sent his son to the cross. He raised him from the dead. He welcomed the son back into heaven as a mediator for us. And now he appoints Paul. And he gives the spirit to all of us. He's the one that's doing this work of bearing testimony about the Christ to people who are alive today. Do you believe it? Sometimes we get uptight about local outreach because we're thinking that it's ours. This is our work. This is God's work. We just get to be a part of it. When, uh, when my son was little, he's little. There was a time when he was little. Not anymore. But he was, and we were missionaries in Africa. And so when we would come back to America, I would calculate how many birthdays and how many Christmases are there between now and the next time I'm going to be in America. And I would buy that many models for, for Sam, you know, models, right? Cars, motorcycles, airplanes, all that cool stuff. That guys like to build models of, right? Yeah. And um, when he was little, of course, he didn't know how to really make models. This is one of the cool things. I think it's in Fatherhood 101. You got to build models with your son, right? So we're there and we get this really cool car out and it's all in pieces. And so we start to build this model, right? And he doesn't even know how to open the glue thing yet, how to break the piece. He's never done. And so we spend weeks, a little bit every day or every couple of days. And there's dad with his hands on Sam's. And we're putting this thing together. And in the end, we get this great, cool car. And then we have some visitor comes by and, and uh, we say, hey, hey, uh, Sam built a car hey sam go get the go get the model and he goes and he comes out and he's holding this thing and everybody says wow you built that yeah i'm thinking i built it no i wasn't complaining at all everybody in the room knew right we all knew dad probably built that with him dad had his hands on on sam's hands but dad didn't care this is great stuff yeah yeah i built it sam thinks you know what? That's what local outreach is like. We run around and we do stuff and we think we did it. We're not doing it. God's doing it. Amen? This is God's work. Bearing testimony about the Christ who was born, who died, who rose from the dead. God's doing that work. And he in his love wraps us up in his working. We get to be a part of it. But never forget that his hand is on ours, putting the glue next to the plastic. It's his work. We just get to be a part of it. 
And I think sometimes that, and I speak from experience, that, that sometimes when I, I, I can get up tight trying to make sure I do the right thing or, or say the right thing or, uh, friend, if, if you, if we relax and walk with God and say, yes, I'm willing, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do, we can be a part of what He's doing and let Him do it and use us and we watch Him. We watch him use us. So number one, first principle is bearing testimony about Christ is God's work. Now, secondly, we second principle is we all have a place in this work. Notice again in verse seven, Paul says, for this, I was appointed. <laughs> we were thinking a little while ago about the words was appointed. Now let's back up in the word I. Paul, this is Paul. And he, and he says, I was appointed. I have a place in this. We have to understand, of course, that some people have a, a different and more focused call in their lives. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, And God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So God has put a certain call on some people's lives where they give more of their time and a focus of their energies on the bearing of the testimony of Christ to bearing it out to other people. But that doesn't mean that that the rest of us that aren't those people, if I'm not an evangelist or a pastor or a preacher, then I have no part in bearing testimony of Christ? No. The scripture makes it clear that we all share in that. Some are set apart for that work in a special way, but we all bear, bear a place. Notice verse 8. I didn't read that far. But after 5, 6, and 7, it gets to verse 8. It says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. How many, how many of the people up front mentioned, please pray? And it's not just because it's some rule that you're supposed to say that. It's because they, they, they sense the need for God to undergird all that they're doing. And they need prayer. We're all to pray. We all are to pray. And I believe we're all to speak in our own way at, the, at our own times. We're not all evangelists, but there comes times where we speak to the people around us. And in the way that's appropriate about Christ, in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we looked at this about a month ago, but it was in one of those prayer meetings in the, in the early church. When they were done, it says this, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. One of the results of praying together was that God enabled them all. He emboldened them all. It doesn't say then the, the, the apostles went out and spoke with boldness. It doesn't say that. Acts 4.31 says, and they all began to speak the word with boldness. We, we are in, emboldened by God as we pray together and then we go out and we all speak. Not in the same way, not even to the same people. But to those people in our lives, when the opportunity presents itself, when God's working, we speak. So we all pray and we all speak. And I'd just like to remind you that in May the 2nd, 
We're going to have our next Fresh Encounter prayer meeting. And one of the reasons we're doing this and gathering together and praying is that God would, would make us bold and that, that he would use us in saving people in the Lehigh Valley. Amen? We want God to do that and glorify himself through it. Now, third principle. Third principle we see here is that, and I didn't know exactly how to say this, so I'm saying it this way, and then you can write it down if you're a note taker and think about it. But this work, the work of bearing testimony about Christ, includes dialogue and declaration. Look, look there um, uh, in verse 7. It says, For this I was appointed a preacher, that's an interesting word, And an apostle, we know the word apostle means a sent one. I was sent out. But then he uses another word later. He says, as a teacher of the Gentiles. So he was both a preacher and a teacher of this this testimony. The word preacher is interesting. It's the word herald. A herald was one who was sent by someone in authority, someone in the government, to go out. Remember, there wasn't television, uh, radio, no internet. How was someone in authority who had made an important decision, how was he going to inform the population about that decision? They sent out a herald who would go out in public and with a loud voice cry out, in the name of so-and-so, I'm declaring such-and-such. It was an authoritative message being heralded, being proclaimed, and the word's been translated here, being preached. There wasn't any discussion. There wasn't any um, hesitation on the part of the preacher, the herald. He wasn't thinking, gee, I wonder if they're going to like this or not. I wonder if they're, they're um, I'm, I'm wondering if they think it's proper for me to herald this or not. None of that. They were to, there was a declaration of what is. But on the other hand, there's also this word teacher, which carries with it more of an idea of reasoning and persuading and, and maybe a dialogue. I'm using the word dialogue, back and forth. Good teachers always have back and forth with their students. So there's both dialogue, the teacher part, and there's also the declaration that here's, this is true. You know, sometimes we uh, are hesitant to sound proud or arrogant by just saying, hey, this is the way it is. But we cannot be faithful bearers of the testimony without declaring that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Amen? Now, it's my hope, it's my plan that next week we're going to look at that in Greater detail next week, these same verses, but it's making clear there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way. Our culture these days, uh, just the way it is, makes us feel uncomfortable in even saying that. That's like we're not supposed to say those kinds of things. But you cannot be, and I cannot be, a faithful bearer of the testimony of Christ to those around me unless in some way, at some point, it's a declaration of what is. 
It goes beyond the conversation, the back and forth, and there is some element of a declaration, a proclamation that Jesus Christ is the mediator between us and God, and there is no other. Amen? But they go together, and God the Spirit will guide us as we have our conversations with our neighbors and co-workers. There's give and take, but there's also a declaration. Well, lastly, fourthly, fourth uh, principle is this. There are two essential elements to your participation in this work. In this work, which is God's work, of bearing testimony of Christ to those around us, there's two essential elements for you to know as you participate. And it comes at the end of verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. He said that because people were were suggesting he really wasn't an apostle. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Those two. In faith and in truth. If you want to be used of God to bear testimony about Christ to those around you, there's two essential elements. And they're not PowerPoint. And they're not visual aids. They're not slick tracks. They're not polished and rehearsed presentations. Do you feel better? That should relax. It's faith and truth. By the way, this is just a side, but there's a lot of pressure on American pastors these days to do what all the experts say we're supposed to do when we preach. And I don't hear any of them talking about faith and truth. I cannot believe it. How did the Apostle Paul do it anyway? He didn't even have PowerPoint. I don't get it. But anyway, I'm sure if he lived now and he went to all those seminars, he'd change and do it different. Faith. This is interesting. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Amen. I did this. I said this. Apollos said this. But it was God who is doing it. When we are speaking to people about Christ, we're doing it in faith, believing that God is the one who's going to take what we say and use it in their lives. I once, uh, in, in my blog site, uh, I forget when it was, but on one blog entry, I, I asked the question, what should your pastor bring with him to church on Sunday? What is it that you want your pastor to bring with him on Sunday when he goes to preach? And the answer was, faith he needs to bring his faith with him his belief and trust in god that when he gets up and explains the scriptures that god will honor his promise to use his word in people's lives we need to speak with belief that i'm believing god to do what he said he was going to do through proclaiming his word amen and you can pray for your pastor that he believes when he steps up to preach and you believe too. In 1 Corinthians 1, I'm not going to have as much time as I'd like to dwell on this, but in 1 Corinthians 1 and beginning at verse 18, listen to some of the way this is said. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word of the cross, some count it foolish. 
But those in whom God is working, they, they feel the power of God there. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What a, what a, what a powerful statement there. In all of our wisdom and, and technique and communication theory and all of that stuff, we couldn't find our way to God and we couldn't get the, get it, get the job done. But God in his wisdom made our wisdom look foolish and he saves people through the, it's through the preaching of the cross, the presentation of the cross. God, the spirit anoints it and saves people. Amen. We need to believe that, that that's God's way to do it. And so we speak to our neighbors, our coworkers and others We invite our friends to come to services and places where they're going to hear the word. You know, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) You know, some of the times we we try to emphasize that you want to be ready to speak yourself to your neighbors. And that's important. But when God does have those whom he has appointed to be preachers and, and speakers of the gospel, evangelists, there's nothing in the world wrong with saying, hey, come along with me. Let's go hear so and so. Amen. Do it. And when you're sitting there next to your friend listening to so-and-so, you believe. Believe God to use his word in people's hearts. That's the way God does it. So we, we speak in faith, but also then there's truth. I want to end with this, that, that there's truth, it says, faith and truth. We don't leave the truth. We don't get intimidated even by People not believing the truth and think, hmm, well, they don't believe it. Here's, I just want to say this. Sometimes we say, well, the person I'm talking to doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use other things to try to talk to them about the gospel. Right? I mean, they don't believe the Bible's the word of God. So what use is it if I quote the Bible to them and talk about the Bible? They don't believe it. This is what I think. Remember, there's one place that it calls the Bible the sword of the spirit. So here I am. I've got a sword. I got a knife. And it's a real one. And the guy says, "Uh, I don't believe that's a real knife. That's a rubber knife. That can't, that can't hurt anybody. So you're standing there with a real knife, and they think it's a fake knife. Well, I guess I can't use my knife, right? No, no, you just stab them. <laughs> it's real. It doesn't matter if he believes it's real or not. So just take the word of God and lovingly stab him with it. That's a bad illustration, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> The context in the scripture when it's talking about the sword of the spirit was the spiritual enemies of the, uh, the evil one, not people. So I kind of mixed up the, the story there. But, but you got the idea. Just because somebody you're talking to doesn't believe that the Bible is really the word of God doesn't mean it somehow changed the word of God. Just use it. Amen. And believe and watch what God does. Some will reject 
But those in whom God is working, they will sense the power of God and they will believe. So here we are. We want to be used of God. We want to be a part of bearing testimony to the Christ. The testimony was given. Now it's our turn to tell it. So let's just remember that bearing testimony about Christ is God's work. We all have a place in this work. It includes dialogue and declaration. And there are two essential elements to participating in this work. Faith and truth. Father, we thank you for making us a part of your work. And we thank you, Lord, for working in other people who went before us that faithfully bore this testimony to us and you worked by your spirit and saved us. Now it's our turn to keep being a part. This is the proper time to do this work. Give us grace in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.